right, guys. We've spent all week together, and I have a, a little bit of a confession. That wasn't Christian Bale. That was me. Cool that we got Joanna Gaines to guest star in that last episode, though, huh? Um, all right, guys. Hey, have you guys, did you guys enjoy those videos this week? Man, they were a lot of fun to make, and I'm glad that, that you enjoyed them uh, as well. So today, what we saw was kind of the, the end of Moses' story, right? In the scripture, what we see is that Moses, when he disobeys God by striking the rock with his staff, rather than speaking to it as God commands, God tells him that because of his disobedience, he will not make it into the promised land. In fact, because of their disobedience, none of those who left Egypt made it into the promised land. It was the next generation that did, their children, who made it in. Um, but what I want to look at today is I want to look at this kind of last part of Moses' story. See, the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those first five books are what we might call the books of Moses. You might also call them the Torah or the Pentateuch. But the books of Moses is maybe the easier one to remember because all five of those books are five books that are written by, take a wild guess, Moses, that's right. The books of Moses. And, and Deuteronomy is the last of those books of Moses. That book is written by Moses except for the end part where it talks about how Moses died. We assume that's written by someone else. Anyway. Um, Deuteronomy is the last of the books of Moses. And in many ways, Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' deathbed sermon. After he's led by the power of God, led the people of Israel out of Egypt, they've wandered in the desert now for 40 years because of their disobedience. And now they're on the cusp. They're just about to go in to the promised land the land that God promised to their great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. They're just about to go in into this land that God has promised them for generations. Moses knows he's not going to make it. And so he gives this farewell address to the people of Israel. And it's the book of Deuteronomy. And so much of the book of Deuteronomy is just Moses reminding them of God's faithfulness throughout this journey, reminding them of God's faithfulness to their, great, to their grandfathers, to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, reminding them of God's faithfulness and bringing them out of Egypt and giving them manna from heaven to eat and water from rocks to drink during the 40 years that they wandered the desert. He also reminds them of God's law, of the Ten Commandments that they got while they were in the desert, of, of the, the commandments that God had given to his people, commandments of how to live a righteous life. Moses is reminding them and giving them everything that they need to know before they enter into the promised land. And as you saw... One of the questions that Moses wanted to address as he was led by the Holy Spirit, one of the questions that he wanted to answer for the Israelites, one of the questions he wanted to answer before he was gone was the question of, Moses, when you're gone, how are we supposed to hear from God? 
How, how are we supposed to hear God speak? Here Moses, this great prophet, is about to die. And the people are going, how can we possibly follow God now? And what I want to look at is I want to look at Moses' answer. Because I think Moses' answer tells us something very, very important about God. So we've been talking about God's character all week long. We should have the question of how can we know more? When you guys leave camp, how can you know more about the God we've been talking about, the God you've been learning about all week? Do you need to just put it on pause and say, okay, I'm done learning about God until next time I go to a camp? Whether that's in summer, if I go with, with my youth group, my church, whether your, your school brings high schoolers to spiritual emphasis or whatever it is, you go, okay, I'm good learning about God until next time I go to camp and someone feeds it to me. Or I'm good learning about God until maybe Sunday morning when my youth pastor or, or the pastor in church teaches me. Or I'm good learning about God until next time I have Bible class. No, see, the Israelites wanted to know how to follow God, and that's one of the questions that God put on Moses' heart to answer in this farewell address of the book of Deuteronomy. So open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the final book of Moses, the fifth book in your Bible. All right. Deuteronomy 30, verses 9 through 4. 9 through 14. <laughs> Guys, I've not slept super well this week. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure. Counselors are like, don't complain. Um, I have a baby, okay? All right. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 30, read verses 9 through 14. The Lord your God... The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of the ground. For the Lord will align, will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. And when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Guys, if we have the question of how are we to know more about God? How are we supposed to learn more about who he is and about what he's done? How are we supposed to live lives of godliness following him and following his law? The answer is very simple. The word of God is not far off. You see, there are all kinds of religions in this world that tell you that in order to be a righteous person, you have to go on some kind of quest. 
You have to go visit some magical historical site. You have to climb some mountain. You have to meditate in the woods for years on end. You have to go to this place and do this thing. You have to visit this sacred site and that's how you attain holiness. That's how you attain enlightenment. There are all these religions that tell you that in order to be a righteous person, in order to please their gods, you have to do these incredible over-the-top things. Guys, that is not true. All that we need in order to live the lives that we are made to live in order to know the God who made us, in order to see true things about who he is and what he's done, in order to see him clearly, all we need is to open his word. The word of God is not far off. It is not too hard for you. It is near, it is at hand, so that you can do it. This week, many of you have felt an incredible movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have seen God, felt God in ways maybe that you never have before. I already said this, but I'm going to say it again. The same God that lives on this mountain lives back home. Because if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he lives in you. And so this growth that you felt this week as you've grown in knowledge and love of your Savior and your King, it does not have to end on this mountain because it happened as we opened the Word of God together and as we saw the truth about who God says He is in His Word. I know you guys go to Christian schools. I know many of you guys grew up going to church, have grown up going to church maybe every single Sunday, maybe more than just Sundays. You go Sundays, you go Wednesdays, you go on Fridays when there's a special event, you're always there. That's how I was too. And I know that if you're anything like I was at your age, you're tired of people telling you to read the Bible. You're like, I know, I get it. Read the Bible, read the Bible every day, blah, blah, blah. And you're just tired of hearing it. But you know why people keep telling you? Because it's important. Because this book is not just another book. It's not just another textbook. It's not something that teaches you math. It's not something that teaches you history. It's not something that teaches you science. All those are great things to learn, and I hope you've learned some science this week. But this book is so much more important. Because this book doesn't just tell you a truth. It tells you the truth. It doesn't just tell you something that's good to know. It tells you about who your creator is. It tells you about the king of the universe and how he has made you to live. This book is more than a book. It is the living and active word of God. It is God's direction and instruction for your life and for your eternity. Guys, I want you to fall in love with this book because you love the God who wrote it. You can only do that if you're spending time in the Word. You'll only come to love it as you read it and as you know it. It's not easy at first, especially, but it's worth it. It's, 
the most worth it. I want to show you why. I want to give you three things about the Bible, three big truths about the Bible that tell us why spending time in it is so, so important. For the first one, I want you to open up to 2 Timothy. This is maybe the most famous verse in the Bible about the Bible. It's in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. New Testament towards the end of your Bible. Listen to this. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every word in this book from the front cover to the back, well, that's not entirely true, there's like a concordance of things, but every word in this book from Genesis 1 To the end of Revelation, every word in this book is breathed out by God. It is not the word of man. It is not the word of flawed people like you and me, but it is breathed out by the God of the universe, by that very king that we saw on Monday night who sits on his throne high and lifted up in the heavens. And when he opens his mouth, The very foundations of the heavens shake. The very same God that created all of existence by the power of his voice. His words are the words in this book. They are God-breathed and they are true. They are true. The Bible is not just one book, it's 66 books written by over 40 writers over a period of 1,500 years or more. All these writers writing from different places in different times. And yet, together, it weaves together to make one coherent story from cover to cover. One true story of God and his people that starts at the beginning of time and continues all the way to the end. And of those 40 plus writers writing those 66 books over 1,500 or more years, we see this coherent picture, everything weaving together perfectly. We see the fulfillment of prophecy, prophecies that are made in the Old Testament. Then we see them fulfilled hundreds or even thousands of years later in the new. It's also the most confirmed book in human history. And what I mean by that is a few things. The Bible, the truth of the Bible, the history that's repeated in the Bible, we are still constantly making archaeological discoveries, digging up things that confirm what we see in this book. Just a few years ago, they dug up a a, a kind of a rock plaque. There's a bug on the stage. They dug up kind of a rock plaque And on it, it had the name of a governor of Rome whose name was Pilate. 
Now, if we had read the Bible, we'd known about Pilate for thousands of years, right? Pilate is the governor who sentences Jesus to death. But that was the first archaeological confirmation of the existence of this guy. And things like that have happened over and over and over again. They continue to happen. In fact, it's fascinating. You can get things like, um, there's an archaeological study Bible. There's actually a couple of them that just show you these things. And it happens over and over and over again, where the Bible will talk about some historical event, but outside of the Bible, there's no record of it until one day someone's digging in the desert. And what do they find? They find evidence that what the Bible said was true, that it is true. So we have archaeological evidence. When I, when I say that this is the, the most um, attested to book in all of history, I mean the archaeological evidence. I also mean what we call manuscript evidence. What I mean by that is there are fragments and pieces of the Bible that date back all the way to just a few hundred years after Jesus was walking the earth. We have these old pieces of scripture that date almost all the way back to when they were written. And what's incredible is that when we take those really old pieces of the Bible that we find and we hold them up to what our modern versions say, you know what we find? Pretty much exactly the same thing. This is not a game of telephone where someone said something 2,000 years ago and it got passed on and passed on and passed on and by the time we get it, it bears no resemblance to what was originally said. No, because God said his word, he wrote his word, and he preserves his word. So the book that I'm holding in my hand has been attested to throughout time. The words in this, while they're translated into English, they are the same words that were written thousands of years ago. The Bible is true because the God who wrote it is a God of truth, and he preserves his truth that his people might know him. So that's the first one. We should care about the Bible. We should spend time in the Bible because the Bible is true. The next is this. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Look at verse 14 that we read earlier. The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. Looking up to verse 11. This commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. See, the Bible is not just a book that belongs only to to the religious elite. You don't have to be a pastor to open and read and understand this book. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to be some guru living in the mountains somewhere. You don't have to be some highly trained, theologically educated, seminary trained theologian in order to understand the words in this book. In fact, some of you didn't understand the words that I just said, and that's fine. That's fine. Because we don't need to do crazy things to understand and to know God. We just need to read his words. The Bible is clear. You don't need to know Greek to read it. Now, I think it'd be sweet if some of you guys learned Greek. 
but you don't need to know Greek to know the true things that God has said in his word. That doesn't mean that it's always easy. In fact, the Bible itself acknowledges that sometimes the Bible can be confusing. In 2 Peter, he says that some things in here are hard to understand and that they're easy to twist, to make them say what we want them to say in a way that is sinful and wrong. So while the Bible is clear and you can know it, a fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, you can know the truths of the Bible if you take it up and you read it. I would encourage you to not do that entirely on your own. I want you to read the Bible on your own, but I want you to have someone who can help. Do it as a group. Get a bunch of your friends together and say, hey, we're going to do this Bible reading plan together. We're going to read a chapter a day, and every Wednesday we're going to talk about what we've read that week. Do it, do it with your friends. Do it with your, your teachers. You guys are in an incredible place at a Christian school where you have so many godly adults who love you, care for you, and want to see you grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Ask them your questions. Do it with your teachers, your, your Bible teachers. Do it with your pastors, your parents. Tell them, hey, I want to read the Bible, but I'm afraid that I'm not going to know what's going on. Can you read along with me? I know some of you guys have phones. How many of you guys have the Bible app on your phone? Good amount of you. You could do a thing on the Bible app where you do a Bible reading plan together. My wife and I do a Bible reading plan together where we read the same chunk of the Bible every day. And we do it separately, we do it on our own, but then at night, when we come to bed, we kind of talk about what we've read that day because we've read the same chapters. You can do that same thing with your friends, with your teachers, with your parents, with your pastor even. So when you have questions, you go, I read this this morning, I don't really understand it. They can help you walk through that. We also live in a, in a day and age where there are so many wonderful resources out there. So many great things that communicate the truths of scripture in powerful ways. Now I wouldn't tell you to go, I don't really know what this verse means, and then just type it into Google, because who knows what you're getting there. But do go to your pastors, go to your parents, go to your teachers, go to godly adults who care for you, and say, hey, I'd really like some, great, some resources on this. Speaking as a pastor myself, if I had kids come up to me and ask, hey, I, I want to study through the book of Acts, and, and I just want to know what, this, what are some resources, I would get so excited, guys, I'd give them a crazy list. I'm sure your pastors would too. But ultimately, here's the thing. The Bible is true and it's clear. It's not too complicated. It's not too hard. It's not too difficult for you to understand if you read it by the power of the Spirit, you will understand. Maybe not everything. In fact, certainly not everything. There are things I read and I don't understand. But you will understand more and more about who God is. And last point, the Bible is true, it is clear, and then finally, the Bible is enough. It is enough. Let me read out of the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 19, one of the most beautiful places where the Bible talks about the Bible. It says this, I'll start in verse 7 of Psalm 19. It says, 
The law of the Lord, that's the word of the Lord. It's this book. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Listen to how he talks about the Bible here. He says that it is reviving to the soul, that it makes simple people, foolish people, wise He says that it rejoices the heart, that it enlightens the eyes, that it endures forever, and that it is true and righteous altogether. Guys, the Bible, the word of God, is enough for us. What I mean by that is that the Bible, this is kind of a, a theological phrase that people use, the Bible is sufficient, it is all we need for life and godliness meaning the Bible tells us everything we need in order to live a God-glorifying life. In order to live a righteous life, everything we need is here in this book. If we want to live a life that is glorifying to God, if we want to follow and obey our King, then we need to follow the commandments of this book and nothing else. You see, there's no other book that we need to know what God has called us to. There's no tradition that we need to know what God has commanded of us. There's no modern theory, no, no private revelation even. We don't need God to open up the heavens and say, hey, you, do this. Hey, Chip, go here. I don't need that because I have God's word. I know what he has told me. So in order to be obedient to him, yes, I spend time in prayer. Yes, I seek godly counsel. But ultimately, in order to be obedient to God, I make sure that I am obedient to his word in this book. Because the Bible is true, the Bible is clear, and the Bible is enough. Guys, I hope and I pray that when you leave camp today, just an hour or so, when you guys go down the hill, my prayer is that you go down the hill with a renewed love for God. And that that love for God leads you to a thirst for more of him. And that that thirst leads you to drink deeply from the well of his word that your love for God drives you to open up his word every day, even when it's hard. I'm not saying that you need to read this thing cover to cover in the next month. But I am saying that if you know God, if you've been saved by Christ, if you really truly love and follow and serve the king of the universe, then you need to be in his word. You need to open it up 
You need to read and you need to allow those words to not just sit in your mind, but to sink into your heart. If we want to know more about God, then we have to see how he has revealed himself to us. That's what we've been doing all week long. We've been learning more and more and more about God. But my prayer for you is more than that. It's not just that you learn more about God as you read your Bible. My prayer for you is that you don't just learn about God. You don't just know more about him, but that you know him more. I'm gonna say that again. I don't just want you to read the Bible to know more about God. I don't just want you to read the Bible to know more facts about who God is. I want you to read the Bible to know God more. I want you to read the Bible that your relationship with your king, with your creator, with your heavenly father would grow deeper and richer. And yes, you would know more about who he is, but ultimately your relationship with him would grow in love and that you would love him more and more deeply as you come to know more about him. I don't want you to just know more about him. I want you to know him more. And I'm gonna give you an example of the difference. The last verse we'll read together, one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible, it's in Exodus chapter 34. This is a part of Moses' story that we kind of skipped over. It's after they've been brought out of the wilderness, sorry, out of Egypt into the wilderness. Moses goes up onto this mountain, and on that mountain, God meets him there, and God gives him these commandments, the Ten Commandments. But I don't want to look at the Ten Commandments. Instead, what I want to look at is when Moses is on the mountain and God shows up. This is Exodus 34. If you want to open there, you can. Moses is on the mountain and God shows up. And God heralds himself. Do you guys know what a herald is? You ever see like a... a, a medieval movie or something, and the king's about to walk into the room, and the guy comes out with a little bugle, and he's like, all rise, the king, you know that thing? The king is coming, like whatever. Well, in this moment, on the mountain, God heralds himself. Moses is there, God is coming, and God says who he is. He heralds himself before Moses. It's in Exodus 34, starting in verse six. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So here God is, he's going before Moses. He's proclaiming his love, his righteousness, his holiness, his wrath, his justice, his mercy, his grace. He's declaring all of these truths about himself. And as Moses learns more about God, I wanna look at Moses' response. 
Listen to this. The next verse, verse eight. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and he worshiped. Moses' response to these big truths about God, about his love and his mercy and his righteousness and his wrath and his justice, Moses' response to these big truths is not, oh, that's interesting. His response is to get on his knees, to bow his face to the ground and to worship, to praise God, to say, God, you are wonderful. You are glorious. Thank you for showing yourself to me a broken, worthless, sinless man, sinful man. Guys, my hope and my prayer for you is that you open up your Bibles, that you read it, that you know more about who God is, and that as you learn more about who he is, it drives you to your knees each and every day in worship. That as you know more about who he is, it would drive you to love him more, to know him more in your personal relationship with him. But to do that, to grow in relationship with him, you have, you have to listen. If I told my wife, I really want to work on our marriage, I want to work on our relationship, I want to grow in love of you, and she goes, great, and she starts talking, and I put in my AirPods, am I telling her the truth? Of course not, because if I want to grow in the love of her, I have to listen to her words. It's the same thing with God. The word of God is not far off. You don't have to climb some mountain. You don't have to cross some ocean. It's right here. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. Come talk to me. Talk to one of the staff. We'll find you one. The word of God is not far off. It's close at hand so that you can do it. Open his word read his words, pray over his words, and let his words drive you to worship of your creator. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you show yourself to us through your word. God, we don't deserve to know you, but you show us your mercy, you show us your love, you show us your righteousness, your holiness, your justice, your wrath, your grace, your presence, your care for us, your providence, your control over all things. God, you show us all of these things through your word. So Father, I pray for these students. I pray that you would grow in them a love for you and a love for the Bible, a love for you and a love for your word. God, I pray that they would live lives devoted to the study of your word and that as they do that, as they learn more about you, I pray, God, most of all, that their knowledge of you would not just stay knowledge, but it would form their affections, that through a growing knowledge of you, they would come to a growing love of you, a growing relationship with you. God, teach us to know you better and to love you more. In Jesus' name.